It means someone who's willing to take on risk and try to prove something in business that you don't know will work. So okay. as opposed to having a job, it's more so taking on some kind of risk that you hope will benefit Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. Today, we're sitting down with a special guest. His name is Spencer X. Smith. He's somebody that I have seen speak live a couple times, somebody who I was very interested in, so I decided to reach out to him and ask him to be on the podcast. We're talking about social media. That is where Spencer spends most of his time these days. He just wrote a book called The Return on Top of Mind Awareness, which is a topic that we're going to be talking about throughout the interview as well, and how how you sort of being on the top of somebody's mind can bring you a, a financial return just in your interaction with that person. So without further ado, let's get into the interview and welcome Spencer to Young Smart Money. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us today on Young Smart Money. Um, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. Awesome. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. And the first thing I just have to ask you is the X. Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? Is your middle initial actually an X or is it really just for marketing? Yeah, it's actually Xavier is my middle name. Really? And the only, there's not a cool story behind it. I was born in Milwaukee. Okay. And my dad has a really common name and I have a, a common last name. So they looked at the phone book and they said there's no one with the middle initial X. And they, <laughs> they created the name from there. So that was the, uh, really? that was the, that was the, origination of it and then it ended up becoming part of a marketing thing because yeah. it, it differentiates a little bit. It so really it's, does. It's been cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really that's really cool. And as a person who goes by Apple, um, I'm really all for the having something <laughs> unique in your name that sets you apart because once you have that, because it's so easy when you're meeting so many people, especially as an entrepreneur and like going to networking events and such, it's so easy to meet so many people and it's tough to remember all those names. But like for me, I, I kind of feel bad sometimes because a lot of people remember my name, but I don't remember their name just because... It's so memorable, and I assume the same is true for you as well. With the X, it's it's so easy, and you really do use that as a branding technique very, very well. For sure. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so what I like to start off my episodes with is really just diving into where you got started. Mm -hmm. um, so I really want to cover, first of all, are, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? 100%. Yeah. Okay, what does entrepreneur mean to you? It means someone who's willing to take on risk and try to prove something in business that you don't know will work. So okay. as opposed to having a job, it's more so taking on some kind of risk that you hope will benefit you and the people you're trying to serve, but then perhaps it might not work. So it's 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 risk, really. Okay. Yeah, in a word, it's risk. When did you start taking those risks? That was very early. So I was the oldest in my family, okay. and I'm 42 now. So okay. back in the day, like way, way, way pre-internet, <laughs> I was out selling magazines door to door and that kind of stuff. So just trying to do whatever I could to get money. Yeah. And eventually went the paper route. Okay. Route. So <laughs> saved that money, bought a computer when I was young, mm -hmm. and started tearing apart computers and that kind of stuff. So I just saw entrepreneurship as a way to get more of what you want, mm -hmm. and then ultimately what it's turned into is the ability to help affect people positively. Yeah. And now with social and the web, and now we can do it at scale on podcasts. I mean, it's just been a wonderful way to, to broadcast what it is that you know and share freely stuff that you figured out. Exactly. So was your was your motivation at first to make money? You said at a young age you were out there selling stuff and make money. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that because that at that time like there were really strict labor laws for mm. kids. So basically under 16, you couldn't yeah. do much at all. So that was the way that I could figure out the best way to actually develop some kind of money that would come in to me, mm -hmm. aside from allowances and that kind of yeah. stuff, the ad hoc stuff is just looking for opportunities to sell. And that's what I feel like entrepreneurship ultimately is, is yeah, they're selling ideas, selling products, selling services. When did that transition for you into more on the helping people side of things? 
Uh, I think with, with social, because I, I had a job up until 2015 mm-hmm. where I was in financial services and it was really, really regulated, mm-hmm. so I couldn't use social at all. Okay. And I saw that, meaning social media is the best means there's ever been to yeah. allow people to broadcast their ideas. So it's only been about four years that I've been heavy into social and heavy into sharing ideas, because before that it was just word of mouth and meeting yeah. the person. Exactly, exactly. And social media, I mean, that's what my entire business runs on. And, and I run, I also run a social media marketing agency where I basically work with small businesses and other online influencers to help them build their online presences. So for me, social media is, is the quintessential part of what I do. So I, I completely agree. And there's so many ways you can help people with it that it's just, it's such a beneficial tool that we have available to us now that when you were growing up wasn't, wasn't around. Yeah. So it's, it's something you really do have to take advantage of. Now, the next thing I want to ask you about is is mentors. So, when you were coming up, when you were when you were moving along your route and entrepreneurial journey, um, did you have any people who were particularly influential on you and, and really helped you build yourself to where you're at now? Not that I knew individually, okay. but those the, the books that I read mm. because back then, and just to, to offer some some context, especially for your listeners, yeah. your, your watchers is that back if I went to the library back in the day and the library book was checked out that I wanted, Mm -hmm. I really didn't have any way to get that information. And so it was oftentimes relegated to those books that were available. So these people that were popular to me, that were important to me, that were business people that I looked up to, Mm -hmm. that's where I tried to learn from them. And, you know, there's no online video back then. There's no, you know, really radio that was on demand. So I think those those people that I saw as famous back in the day, like a um, good example would be Lee Iacocca, who used to be the chairman of Chrysler. Okay. He wrote some really good stuff. Jack Welch from GE wrote some really good stuff. So I looked at those people and said, how do I figure out what they've best done themselves in business and then try to emulate those same things? Very interesting. What are some of your what are some of your quintessential books that really helped you out along your journey? Um, probably the, the best one, it's a, a stu- direct student of Dale Carnegie. Who okay. Dale Carnegie wrote the yeah. How I Do Win Friends and Influence People. His name is Frank Betcher, B-E-T-T-G-E-R. It's how I raised myself from failure to success in selling, and he was just the classic door-to-door insurance salesman. But what he, I mean, what he, what he shares these tenets now of, of entrepreneurship, of business, of salesmanship. I feel like all of those still apply every bit as much today as they they used to. So that that was a big one for me. Is how do we how do we get in our own heads and understand that when we have bad events happen mm-hmm. in sales or business development, we get discouraged. How do we overcome those things, knowing that those things are going to happen? Right. And then the other big thing, and this is from the real estate angle, was William Nickerson's. How I raised, um, let's see, something like how I turned a thousand to a million dollars in real estate. Okay. And that book, up until just recently, was almost unavailable. Like I had to pay a lot of money for it on eBay. Really? Because it was so out of print that he's been dead for years, yeah. decades. And that was a really formative book for me too, because I've been investing in real estate since February of 2000. So it's really? been almost 19 years. Wow. Yeah, and that, that's been a really wonderful way to control my financial situation. And okay. that, that book is super important to me. Why did you start with real estate? Because when I was a kid, I was super into stocks. Okay. And post Y2K, there was a big meltdown in stocks, yeah. especially a tech bubble. Yeah. Okay. And I saw real estate as a really slow-moving market where there are a lot of inefficiencies, mm-hmm. where I knew that if I controlled this thing and controlled it for a long period of time, eventually I'd own it outright. Yeah. And I like the idea of owning stuff where you get paid to own it yeah. as opposed to being based on speculation, right? Like mm-hmm. It should go from here to here. Mm-hmm. It's actually about like how do I control something that pays me. Very interesting. Yeah. When you say you were into stocks, what does that mean? It means that in high school, I was analyzing things like price-to-earnings ratios and really? looking for inefficiencies and going like, okay, this, this thing, Chrysler, is really low. It's got a 6 PE versus Microsoft, which is a 22 PE, so yeah. it must be better. So it's just trying to, like, through sheer naivete, trying to figure out, like, what is price 
in relation to the market overall. So right. I, I started really simple and then started to get pretty complex when I got into financial services. Very interesting. I think I heard you say you bought your first stock at 13. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Disney. Yep. Disney. First stock I bought, yeah. Wow. Yeah. What? What? Where did the interest come from in investing? Um, I think it's just that's where the money is, man. And I feel, feel like with with any kind of investing in securities or real estate or whatever, the fact that you have a, a slight piece of ownership in something or a, a huge ownership in something if you own the whole house, right? It's a way to look at a business fundamentally and go, if this is something that's going to be better over time, if I can participate in it, that's where you eventually make your money is as an owner, even in yeah. a limited capacity. So that's where stocks were exciting for me. That's that's wild that you think about that, even at 13 years old. I mean, most people, they get to 30 and they <laughs> yeah. maybe haven't even started investing yet. So I think that's wild. What do you think, that's, just because so many people don't think about that, what, was, what set you apart? What made you think about that? What made you think about going out there and selling magazines door to door? Like, where did this I come think, from? I think just from wanting to buy things that I couldn't buy. Like, I really, really wanted a computer when I was <laughs> younger because I saw that as the, the next thing, right? And because I didn't have the money, I, that's how I aspired to get the money. I felt like money or the achievement of money was a, a goal aspiration because of what it could do for you experientially as opposed to having like a better you know, glass or whatever. It's like, how do I get something that could experience, uh, as a result, I could experience something that I couldn't otherwise, a la going to the library and not having that book. Mm-hmm. Well, if I had the money, I could buy that book. So I just feel like it's, it's a way to gather information okay. and then share your experiences in turn. Was money tight for you growing up? Was it money, money tight? Um, not, not tight. I mean, I'd be, it'd be a huge stretch to say that I ever wanted for anything. But yeah. the stuff that I, I wanted that was a hobby-based mm-hmm. thing, like computers, books, that was not available to me. So okay. that's what really drove me to go and get that money. Very interesting. And then you, you mentioned a lot about sales, and some of the books you mentioned were very sales-related. Have you used a lot of sales in, in your entrepreneurial career? Uh, has that been a very important thing for you? I feel like that's really what it's all about. Really? Right? Is, is understanding what a person's issue is, mm-hmm. understanding how important it is to that person, and then understanding the impact if you were to alter that, right? And that's that's oftentimes like we hear in, in selling people talk about pain, like what's your pain? Mm-hmm. Well, if I can help you realize what it is, help it help you realize if it's really impactful to you, like will it change your life if it, if it gets changed in any capacity or gets fixed, and then what are you willing to pay for it? That, that's really what I think sales is and entrepreneurship as a whole too like if you don't sell anything it's hard to be an entrepreneur completely agree and it's all about finding those problems and then creating valuable solutions I think that's where a lot of the power is in entrepreneurship is finding unique ways to solve problems that a lot of people are experiencing yes I completely completely 100%. agree with that 100%. Um, so another thing that I heard you mention is that you wake up extremely early. At least you did in some of the past interviews that I've heard. Is that still a, a habit of yours? Yeah, yeah, that's my thing. How early did yeah. you wake up this morning? It's four fifteen. Four fifteen. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's each day. So something I read in Men's Health like twenty years ago yeah. was people who wake up the same time each day, regardless week a week weekend whatever, mm-hmm. it, it benefits your body. Your body goes, okay, I know how to how to adjust to this. Okay. And I feel like that period of time, man, where it's where it's quiet, where my brain is probably operating at its best mm-hmm. that's where I get the most stuff done so it's just I'm just a morning person naturally okay. and so that works out really well on the weekends as well for sure wow that's yeah. wild what do you do that every uh, I usually write okay. I exercise okay. and sometimes both at the same time I have a treadmill desk at home so I write, I write on my treadmill desk yeah but that, I lift in the morning and that's that's just a really great way to jumpstart my wow brain. That's interesting. I do I do some video editing from my phone on the treadmill, uh, but but other than that, I don't do much of, of working and exercising at the same time. It sounds scary. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I'm a little concerned, but uh, haven't haven't had any traumatic experiences yet. Uh, bouncing off of that with with writing, the first time that I saw you speak at uh, Dream Bank, it was on 
you mentioned, I think you were talking about how to get on the radar of like big publications yeah. using Hero. Yeah. And uh, I, I got very intrigued by that and I signed up for it almost immediately and started reaching out to some of these guys. I then realized that I wasn't a very good writer. So I decided to stick to video and audio. But could you talk a little bit about how you've been able to land some of these uh, writing engagements for places like Forbes um, and other, other big names mm-hmm. through using services like this? Yeah, so what you had alluded to is help a reporter out. Yes. Right? It's, it's free and it's, it's awesome. And what I love about it, Apple, is that when, when a reporter is working on something, he or she's often not an expert mm-hmm. in it. They've been tasked with their editor to write about cryptocurrency or whatever it might be. And they yeah. go, I don't know anything about this, so I'll do my research mm-hmm. and then I'll write this, but then I need to validate it with an expert. Sure. And that's where a reporter turns to something like help a reporter out and says, this is what I'm riffing on. Here's the news before it happens. Mm-hmm. Can you be my source for this? And what I love about that is not only do you know, know the news before it happens, but also it can allow you to experience this relationship with somebody that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Right? Like this person is turning to the market as opposed to their sources and saying, I don't have an expert in this. Could you be my expert? Equally as importantly, outside of just opening that door, is it prompts you from a writing standpoint to say, well, if this is top of mind for the New York Times or Chicago Tribune or Forbes or whatever, mm-hmm. I could probably riff on this a bit myself yeah. given that there is demand for it. So that said, right, I looked at other publications and said, well, if I'm focusing on law firms, which I do, or mm-hmm. banks, which I do, they have these industry pubs, right? And what used to be just a finite print copy mm-hmm. where they had a certain amount of articles, certain amount of ads, now is at scale, in an infinite amount, yeah. right? So if you go to these online editors at these websites and say, may I write for you? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, cool, because if you don't write for me, I have to write. Yeah. And if you provide me a piece of content that's valuable, that helps offset our ad costs, right? Because yeah. they, they monetize their ads. So if you get eyeballs to their sites, mm-hmm. they benefit from it. So it's just about going in, through sheer, again, naivete, asking them, may I write for you? Here's what I've written for before, knowing that they would benefit directly from that. Okay, how'd you get into writing? Uh, just by, man, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I love video, I love audio. I, I really don't like writing. It just, <laughs> yeah, I force myself to do it. Really? Yeah, I have to. I have to. Why do you say that? Um, because otherwise they don't happen. Otherwise the articles don't happen. Um, and if I could just do it on video and have somebody transcribe it for me and yeah. get that into an article, that would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, I just, I feel like I have to do it. Do you think audio and video are going to take over, or do you think? Written word is still here to stay I think, for a while. I think they're all they're all important mm-hmm. because of how people read and understand, and especially the people that I'm selling to. Typically, yeah. they put a lot more validity in something that is in a publication that they can pick up and look at. And yeah. go, this must be good. Yeah, because somebody vetted it, right? Because yeah. videos and audio, I mean, I feel like it's it's a lot easier way to convey information. But as far as reputability goes, I feel like print media is still probably the top. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think right now, definitely print is definitely on that pedestal, but. Especially audio right now is really, really picking up. So I'm very, I'm very bullish on where audio is going yeah, in the future. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you? So I know you have a bit uh, of stuff going on in the audio realm, but are you? What platform are you most active on? As far as like which written video or audio? Oh, uh, probably video. Really, probably video. Yeah, um, because we we use internally with our clients this piece of software called Soapbox, which is from okay. Wistia, which is a big uh, video hosting company out in Boston. And that's where instead of sending emails back and forth to clients, I get on my laptop and just record live. Like, here's a screen, here's where you should look, here's what's important. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a nice conveyance of that. Yep. But also, just as importantly from a sales standpoint, 
when people see a personalized video with your face and you talking about their company, mm. that's way better than email. So that's, that, that's where default video. That's huge. And that's that's a, such a big thing for my business as well as reaching out to people, usually on Instagram via a video direct message that I record personal to them. Nice. And that's just so, it's so impactful and it's been a way for me to seriously expand my connection and my business. Because like you said, that's just, it's such a powerful connection. And usually every day I'll pick like 10 random followers and just shoot them a little video and say, hello, what's up? Like introduce myself to them. So nice. I think it's a really cool way to, to, to connect with people. And bouncing off of that, a story that you told at one of the uh, Dream Bank presentations that I went to was about how in this financial services business that you referenced earlier, you would uh, cold call people uh, and, and sort of leave them a, a, a personalized voicemail mm -hmm. because you have this extremely long commute. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I really like to focus in on things that people do that don't scale. Because those things really do fascinate me. Because in, in business, a lot of times you're looking for the things that really do scale dramatically and that you can do, you can mass produce and you can really like shove out to as many people as possible. And that's one of the things that social is really good at. Mm -hmm. But these, these non-scalable things I find can be very, very impactful. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that experience in particular. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, man, like that's how you got my attention on Instagram. Like mm -hmm. I, I knew you from seeing your mouth. Yeah. You sent me a personalized video. It's like, Hey, let's do a podcast. I'm like, yeah. that was the, I mean, you are the only person that's done that on Instagram, which of course it got my attention, yeah. right? So to your point, like oftentimes when we try to over mechanize stuff, mm -hmm. it loses the personalization completely. So to go back to your story, what I used to do, and it wasn't as much cold calling. It was just okay. trying to stay top of mind with people that were on my prospect list. Okay. And I had this really long commute and I would just leave voicemails over and over and over saying, here's what happened mm -hmm. in a meeting last week. Here's how it might benefit you. Mm -hmm. If you think that you'd like to talk about it a little bit more, just give me a call back. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like that was a five and a half hour commute from Wisconsin down to Indianapolis yeah. and same voicemail over and over and over but eventually you know what we now call content marketing yeah right by educating and just giving freely people would eventually start to call me back and go mm -hmm. hey you know that story you told me could you tell me that again knowing that it will then you know open the door for them to do more business yeah. so that's where i feel like doing the unscalable is really what sets you apart so to your point man it's like yeah to, to not over over systematize and just actually do the work is yeah. it's daunting sometimes yeah but it's it's fun and it results in probably the best uh, Best outcome. Completely agree. And it, it can be so easy to try to like push things off to like outsource or just like some some kind of systematized way, but it, it really does. It's so impactful when it is really you and just like a one-on-one -on -one connection. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like those are those are the most the most powerful. Now that sort of ties into the next thing I want to hit on, which is so you wrote a book mm -hmm. called R-O-T-O-M-A, mm -hmm. Rotoma, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, which stands for, could you just fill us in on, yes. on basically what that means? Return on top of mind investment. As I'm sorry, top of mind awareness. Okay. So as opposed to return on investment, which mm -hmm. a lot of people ask, what's my ROI, right? Yes. You're running an agency, you ask it all the time, right? Yeah. What's my return on top of mind awareness? And in my estimation, being a former sales guy for a lot of years, mm -hmm. it's either people are thinking about you or they're not. Okay. And when they have that opportunity to come up where they can use you, do they think about you first? Okay. And that's where I feel social media at scale is, is the best way there's ever been to do that. So the book, the gist of the book is telling that story about what I used to do just manually to get people to think about me mm -hmm. and why when it comes to social, people could avail themselves of it as an adjunct to their normal activities, right? Not, not you're going to live on social and no. do away with all the other stuff. It's like when you have five minutes literally in the morning, do this and this and this and then walk away and know that you did something as opposed to not. Mm. Yeah. Is it is it very so... Top of mind awareness, could you just sort of give a, a definition of what that means to you? Yeah. It's if we think about your listeners right now, if yeah. I ask them to think about their lawyer that comes to mind first, mm -hmm. or maybe that's probably not the best example for this audience, sure. but <laughs> athlete, athlete that yeah. comes to mind first, politician that comes to mind first, uh -huh. um, dog 
walker, trainer that comes to my first. Yeah. Like there's somebody there, right? Mm-hmm. And if there's not somebody there, that's an opportunity to fill a gap. But yeah. that person exists there in some capacity for some reason. Mm-hmm. Either you just saw her post on Insta, yeah. or you just saw her movie, or whatever it might be, right? So it's just getting people to think about you more often than not. And I feel like Will Smith, oh, just to give a good example yeah. of this, like he, he used to be, like not to that he's not still, but like a, a huge, huge Hollywood star. Yeah. And he kind of backed off a little bit, you know, did some movies that perhaps didn't do as well, mm-hmm. but then said, wow, like all of these people are shifting their, their attention and their eyeballs to Instagram. Yep. I should probably start doing stuff there. Yeah. And had to basically start over. Yeah. Right? To prove himself to a bunch of people who have never heard of him before. Yeah. So I feel like constant reinvention mm-hmm. is, is really key when it comes to, to any of this stuff, when it comes to top mind awareness. Why? Because people regardless of where you think people should be mm-hmm. they'll go to where they want to go regardless and you should be yeah. there where they're going to go Completely we can't wish away technology impacting us yeah right? and and another big thing for me is like I, I try not to romanticize certain platforms mm-hmm. because if I get too attached to say Instagram and then something something big happens and say VR gets really big and there's this new app that everybody's using like I, I can't be too attached to Instagram because that's putting all my eggs in one basket. So it, it really comes down to, I think that's really, really key about reinventing yourself and making sure that you're not too dependent on one single platform because you don't own any of that real estate potentially because they could go under, they could stop, they could do something like Vine, like Vine. Like people who were stars on Vine, they're gone now because Vine's gone. Um, so I think that's really important to be able to be to be fluid and to be able to reinvent yourself and, and actually have some substance there that you can transfer from platform to platform. How do you see people most effectively using multiple platforms? Do you think it is best to focus on one in particular, or do you think people can effectively use multiple platforms at once? I think they, they definitely can okay. effectively do it. The, the biggest impediment that I hear from most of the people that I work with mm-hmm. is I don't have time to do it. I'm just like, I'm sorry. Like You, you either make the time or you don't. Yeah, you're allowed 24 hours. Right, right, for sure. So for my audience, it's more LinkedIn than anything else because I feel like the context is already there. We're right. not going to get a bunch of disparate stuff, right? It's yeah. Basically, this is business-related stuff. Yes. When it comes to other platforms, I feel like it's really more so about what you had said about the one-on-one connection or at least facilitating that one-on-one connection. Having that ability for if you reach out to somebody on Instagram cold through a video, mm-hmm. they'll go, oh, yeah, I know that person because he or she shows up in my feed all the time. So I feel like it's, it's really as opposed to broadcast. It's about yeah. broadcast and... And what do we do next to further this relationship? So mm-hmm. I do see people doing it well, but I, I feel like if people can default to just one that they feel is, is really impactful for them and their business and how they'd like to operate, okay. that's probably the best fit. Who are some people that you see really taking advantage of LinkedIn? Um, let me think about this for a second. Sure. Okay, this is a really good example. Yeah. So, and, and this is really unexpected, is that typically the, the organizations and industries that I work in, banking, legal, stuff mm-hmm. like that, they're, they're stodgy, they're slow to adopt, but yeah. I was with a client in a different city recently, and a bunch of their attorneys got up, the, the top attorneys that do the most business, that get paid the most, and one of the women said, hey, here's exactly how I use LinkedIn to identify opportunities, reach out to people once that person's expressed interest, reach out to her again, and then follow up and do, go through the sales process. And to me, it was like, wow, this, this, this person is doing a wonderful job of saying, instead of me approaching somebody at a networking event and yeah. calling her and emailing her, all of this can happen through LinkedIn and social because that's where her availability is. Mm. I feel like this attorney, and specifically, I won't mention her her name, sure. I feel like it's, it was just really indicative to me, though, that she looked at it from a business development standpoint and said, this is where I can reach this person. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to romanticize one way or the other. Like, oh, this should really be an in-person meeting. If, if we can get attention this way, 
and further the, the sales cycle, then why not do it? So I feel like she's doing a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Those that are in banking can do a really good job too, just by sharing what they're doing in the community, like going to networking events, you know, sharing what we call the unselfish selfie with somebody, <laughs> a nice picture with them, and just highlighting other people. So that that's the people I see doing the best is shining the spotlight on other people as opposed to themselves. Hmm. I, I really, I really like that, and I like, yeah, the idea of, of, of spotlighting other people instead of just saying, "This is what I'm doing. Here's me, 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 me." But like being like, "This person's doing something really, really cool, and it doesn't cost anything to do that. You're not sacrificing anything. In fact, you can actually be building more respect with your existing audience because they see that you're you're okay with putting other people on and really like giving credit where it's due." So I've been trying to do a lot more of that lately, but I I, I think you're. I completely, completely agree with that. And, and what are some good strategies that you see people using to spotlight other people? It's being deliberate okay. with it and saying, if, if I'd like to get the attention of this specific person that I'd like to get to know mm-hmm. or um, introduce from a business standpoint, if I can find his or her accolades and then share those with my audience, yeah. genuinely, right? Not yeah, have to yeah, say, yeah, like, yeah. oh, this is a way I'm going to manipulate this person into liking me or yeah. whatever. It's more so really identifying what somebody has done, acknowledging them publicly, and then next time you see them or talk to them or message them or mm-hmm. whatever, say, hey, I, I really like this. I shared it with my audience, mm-hmm. and please keep me informed with more yeah. of what you're doing. And I feel like now, man, like it's so easy to get to anybody yeah. oh my that gosh. It's, it's just anybody that you really want to have know you. If you express genuine appreciation for what they're doing, yeah. that predisposes them to to like you. Yeah. So why not, why not use it? Exactly. That builds so much rapport. And honestly, my biggest focus right now, because I am, I'm, I'm so young, is just building out that network of really, really cool people because I, I realize that there's so much value in that. And, and I don't need, like my focus is not making money right now just because that's not what I need to be doing um, because I'm, I'm still in school. I, I've got plenty of time. But just, just building out that network and really being able to find the people who you look up to and, and letting them know that you like really do value what they're doing and, and make them feel like what they're doing is, is very, very valuable to to a lot of people. So I think that's, that's huge. And one person who... I really look up to on social is Gary Vaynerchuk. And I'm always interested to hear because I feel like people are either really one way or really the other on him. So what are your thoughts on, on Gary Vaynerchuk and, and his approach to social media? I don't know much about him, but really? what, okay. I've, what I've heard from him and in his in his talks, yeah. right, is that he's a very smart businessman. Yeah. And he talks about how social is a really great way to reach customers as opposed to anything else. So I feel like with him, like if it was everybody's reading the same magazine or everybody was looking at the same billboard, he'd go just up here there because, duh, that's what people are doing, right? So I feel like with his... The way that he speaks and the way that he comes at it from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. I just feel like it's it's really genuine. Like I, I like that. I like that. Here's here's what's working. Do yeah. more of these things. So I feel like um, practitioners yes. in this space are hard to come by, and he's yeah. definitely one of those practitioners. Completely, completely yeah. agree. Yeah. And I think, at least in the in, in the sphere that I run with, he he is very top of mind for a lot of people. Okay, cool. But how do you see people converting that top of mind awareness into actual like business? metrics because when I'm talking to some clients, say a local restaurant, when I'm talking to a local restaurant, I'm potentially having them run some Facebook ads and they want to do some brand awareness. There's definitely a disconnect between when they run, say, a magazine ad and when they run a Facebook ad because they just assume that with that Facebook ad, they're going to get all of these statistics and this is how many people bought things, this is how much money they made, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. How do you talk to people about how top mind awareness converts into dollars in their pocket? That, that's a big question, man. Yeah. And what I go back to, I feel like when people have any kind of ROI related question, mm-hmm. it's more an objection yes. as opposed to a no. Yes. Right? It's like, well, I don't, I don't get this. I don't want to put myself out there. 
And I think what it's really about is, is effective decision-making, right? Because mm -hmm. people go, I'm going to reallocate from something I'm super comfortable with that's not going to get me in trouble or fired or make me feel stupid and yes. take this $2,000 magazine ad and spend it on Facebook ads and send it and it doesn't work, mm -hmm. then somebody has to own that. Yeah. And if it's me and I report to somebody, I might, I might lose my job, right? Yeah. So it's a really safe bet to say, I'm going to stick with stuff we can't measure. Mm -hmm. And so when people ask the, how do we measure questions? Yeah. It's up to us to, to determine what that really means. So if I come at it from a sales standpoint, right? Like they dropped me, meaning when I used to have this job, they dropped me in Indiana with no context, no nothing. Like I yeah. just did it from scratch. And if it grew from zero to 37 million in sales, they knew that that was attributable to me, mm -hmm. right? But what got me in the door was that I worked for this huge company that had been founded in 1810. Wow. So if people <laughs> were going to take a meeting with me, it's like, which company do you work for? I work for this company. They go, oh, I've heard of those guys. Yeah. So that got me the meeting, right? So that's kind of like, that's your branding, that's your marketing, right? And then mm -hmm. the sales process. And then eventually when the decision makers bought, they go, now who does this guy work for? Oh, he works for that company. I've heard of that company. So it kind of goes marketing and then sales and then back to marketing. So I feel like they, they all go together. Hmm. Um, but from a restaurant standpoint, I mean, it's really hard attribution-wise to say somebody saw this ad and, and bought yeah. this unless they ask for that thing. Yeah. Right? But unless you instruct them to do that, it's really hard. So I feel like marketing is that that classic, you know, tide raises all ships or rising tide yeah. raises all ships, right? Marketing is, is that. And if people aren't thinking about you, they're not thinking about you. So yeah. it's it's really tough, but I feel like it's in it's it's incumbent upon us to train people on what marketing versus sales versus branding really is. Um, so yeah, I man, I, I feel your pain. It's it's, it's <laughs> tough. It's tough to uh, to convince them. To it is. I think things are things are moving in the right direction though. And, and as I progress and learn more about how the field works, um, I'm definitely able to make some better decisions and, and really portray what I'm what I'm the value that I'm providing in a better way. But yeah, it, it really does come down to, again, that top mind awareness and just making sure that when people think of, say, a seafood restaurant, like your seafood restaurant is the one that they think of. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's huge. Now, one quick sort of like tangent thing. I noticed on LinkedIn that you know PT, Philip Taylor. Mm. Do you know him? Okay, okay, sure. Okay. No worries, no worries. He runs a conference called FinCon. Oh yeah, I'm wearing a shirt for it. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I talked to those guys oh. um, like six months ago, and I, I don't okay. think it worked out. I was I was possibly going to speak there. It, just oh. didn't, it didn't work out. But I'm yeah, wild. Yeah, I would love to. to okay, that. cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, that was in that was in Florida a couple months ago, and nice. uh, it was a good it was a good time. All right, so I noticed that you've also been teaching a bit at the uh, at the college level. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved with that and just why? Yeah, why did you choose to start teaching? I made cold calls okay. to the University of Wisconsin Business School, so the Small Business Development Center, mm -hmm. knowing that they do stuff that's digital and social related, yeah. so I wanted to teach there. And then by knowing a guy named Neil Schaefer, who's, who's pretty big in the digital marketing space, yeah. he and I talked about Rutgers University in, in New Jersey, and they do this thing called the Mini MBA program, which okay. is a really progressive program. They teach people on-site or via video, mm -hmm. all about digital and social. So it was through, first the University of Wisconsin, just cold calling them and asking them, okay. and then through Neil Schaefer, able to teach. So what, what I like about that is it's a big credibility indicator yeah. to have people go, well, yeah. if you teach at a university level, you must be good enough to do it for yeah. us. And it's a good, good testing ground to mm -hmm. say, now, in this business school, what are we hearing? How is it working? And then if we go out and actually prove it to the marketplace, well, then we'd be able to iterate on what it is that we teach in, in school as well. Okay. Yeah. So in your, in your business, in your entrepreneurship, what are your main, what are your main things that you're doing? So obviously you have a lot of different things going on. Like what are, what are your main focuses right now? 
it is speaking. Okay. So I did 60 speeches this year, 74 last year. Wow. And a lot of those, it started transitioning from many free to yeah. almost entirely paid now. But I feel like that it's not to generate income as much as it's about getting on stage in front of the right audience, with hopefully that way they become our clients if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking's a big thing. And then trying to manage our staff. So we just have four of us right now, but okay. I'm looking to scale that more. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to empower our staff to, to make great decisions and, and try to help them the best that I possibly can. And then client work also. Wow. Yeah. Have you have you expanded into, into digital products at all? Uh, no. No digital do you, products. Do you plan to at all? Not, or is not that so not? far. I haven't had a, a good idea yet okay. as far as digital products go. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I always like to see where people are going with that. Because I think a lot, of, a lot of people that I talk to are either heavily involved in digital products or getting there. So I think it's, it's interesting to see how, how people are interacting with that. So Spencer, uh, I've got some questions here that I'd like to ask all of my guests as we wrap up the show. So let's just get into those. The first of which is, what are you excited about right now? Now this can be something in your business, this can be some up and coming trend, this can be anything that's coming going on in the, in the global zeitgeist. Just what are, you, what are you excited about right now? I'm thrilled about greater transparency. Mm. In the sense that, and we saw a lot of this with the Me Too stuff the past yes, couple of years, yes. but if we ask, and I'm shocked when I ask this during speeches, when I ask people, have, have you ever seen a dash cam? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you talking about? I go, well, you know, all the semi-trucks on the road, they have a camera that's, that are watching traffic, right? Yeah. And you can get one for yourself for 50 bucks where you can see everything that's going on, right? So you take that and you span to Snapchat spectacles or whatever next version of that or Google mm-hmm. Glass it will have. Yeah. Everybody's going to be on film yeah. all the time. Yeah. So if you're not acting congruent with what it is you say you are, then you're going to get brought to the surface and people are going to you know, know that. Yep. So I feel like a, an era of greater transparency mm. is, is really important because people have to think a lot better before they act. Completely so agree. Completely agree. I'm excited for, yeah, just yeah, transparency. It's so big because people are going to get exposed. People who aren't doing what they say they're doing and don't stand for what they say they stand for, they're going to they're gonna get brought to light. And I don't know. I, 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 think, that's, I think that's good for everybody because... If you don't have anything to hide behind, why worry about it? Mm-hmm. And if you do have something to hide behind, that's great because you're going to get exposed. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very ready for that. Cool. The next one is, uh, so we mentioned you're, you're waking up early is one of, your, one of your routines, one of your habits. Do you have any other habits that have served you particularly well in your life, whether that be business or lifestyle related? Exercise is, mm-hmm. is super important to me. And I feel like that also coupled with trying to just walk around and look for things that from an observational standpoint, I go, why is this happening? And how can I benefit both myself as well as an audience by thinking about why these things are happening? So look for anomalies or like why people are getting in line at this store versus this store and go, mm-hmm. what does this actually mean? Like what's it going to mean to the future? Because I feel like now like we have permission to say, if I have something interesting to say that I think might be beneficial to other people, yeah. I have an outlet to do that. Yeah. Like when I when I was growing up, like I said, like we didn't have that. Like I go to my parents and be like, hey, do you guys like this? They're like, not really. So I'm like, <laughs> what do I do next? Right. Yeah. So now I feel like it's it's just a really cool way to operate to say, mm-hmm. how can I find things that might benefit other people? Completely sure. agree. And as you as you build that social that social network and that social following, you get people coming to you, like asking you about these things and putting these things on your radar. And that's just been that's been really impactful for me because I'm like hearing about things from my audience before I even like discover them myself. So it's, it's cool to, to see what those trends are before you even like discover them. So I think that's, that's huge. And just keeping an eye on what is happening like in the, the global sphere and like the, the wider picture of things. I think that's really, really essential if you're going to, to try to make some progress. So I completely, completely agree with that. The next is what, what content are you consuming right now? Are there any people, could be books, could be podcasts, could be blogs, video channels. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm loving what Seth Godin is doing mm, right now. He has yeah. a newer podcast called Akimbo, okay. which comes out weekly. And he, like, I feel like he is just such a brilliant mind yeah. from a business standpoint. Yeah. And he can take something that would take me a page to describe and, and make it into a sentence. <laughs> so I feel like that that ability to know stuff so well, the yeah. culture concise, is what I strive to do. So I feel like anytime I, I hear from him, mm. I get smarter. Okay. So him, him probably exclusively more than anything else. Are you big in his books too? I am. Yeah. I feel like his his books though, because they're so short. Yeah. I I have a hard time once I've read them to actually do something with them. Like mm. I, I need that, I need that back and forth. Yeah. From okay, now that I've read this, what do I do with it? So whether, yeah. yeah. So whether I'm sharing it publicly mm. or whether I'm you know reading with my team and going like let's try this stuff mm-hmm. that's where I get a, a big impact from it as opposed oh. to just sitting down and reading it that's very interesting yeah. that's an interesting way I hadn't really thought about the, the lack of time to digest with those shorter books but that's that's definitely something I'm going to keep in mind cool uh, the next the, the last question actually because we covered I, I was going to ask you I tend to ask people what do they do that doesn't scale mm-hmm. and we, we did cover one thing but do you have any other things that you do in your business that don't scale messaging messaging on LinkedIn for sure just individual yeah. Yeah, and then the those soapbox videos that I mentioned because yeah. they're all one on one. That's just a wonderful way to share ideas or try to be helpful mm-hmm. for people. And I, I feel like that you know, and, and you know this better than anybody, man. Like when you show somebody that you're thinking about them, yes, and you provide the documentation that it occurred, yes. they go, "Oh, now I I, I get it." You're not mm-hmm. just riffing on something for me. You're yep. not just thinking about me as a client. You're thinking about me, and you produced something and gave it to me. So yeah. it's that, that old handwritten note or birthday card or whatever like that. Agree. That in digital form, I feel like is, is those one on one videos. Completely agree. Do you use those mostly for like? Prospect outreach, or, or what are you using those soapbox videos for? Both. So I, I do it for client communication mm-hmm. first. We do it when we get back from a networking event or a conference. And you have that stack of business cards. Yep. Instead of just sending emails, I send videos, mm-hmm. and people can attach a name, yeah. to their face, and that kind of stuff. But I feel like it's it's just a wonderful tool in all all aspects of the sales cycle. Very interesting. We have to check that out for yeah, sure. It's awesome. Uh, and the last question is: Where can our audience find out more about you? Where can our listeners go to to find out more about Spencer X Smith and what you're up to? Yeah, best place is is my website, which is spencerxsmith.com, okay. and then all the the social channels. Spencer X Smith or Spencer X says on, on Twitter. All right, perfect. I'll be sure to link all those up in the show notes as well. Thanks. Thank you guys very much for uh, listening and thank you again for your time. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this latest episode of Young Smart Money and got a ton of value out of it. If you did, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast. It only takes about five seconds. If you're walking the dog, if you're going to the gym, pull that phone out of your pocket, press that subscribe button, and uh, drop us some love in the ratings and review sections as well. Those really do help the podcast get in front of even more people and helps us get even more amazing guests on the show. And I do read each and every one of your ratings, reviews, message that you send me. Uh, they, They really do impact me and show me exactly what you want to be seeing here on Young Smart Money. So again, do not forget to drop us a rating, review, and subscribe over in iTunes. And guys, have a wonderful day. Take care. And I really do appreciate you choosing to spend your time here with us on Young Smart Money. Have a wonderful day.